probably the most important part of your case report is the discussion section where you know you've already presented the diagnosis the treatment and the outcomes and now it's time to reflect on what happened i'm michael max and this is geological life doesn't give us answers nor does it give us wisdom it does however give us the raw material to find our own unique solutions It gives us situations that allow us to grow into understanding. It unfurls circumstances that allow us to grow into our areas of weakness and shadow. I had a patient. She was religious. It was a stretch for her to come in for acupuncture. And she was not sure if it might or might not be leading her into a territory that was perhaps for her off limits. I appreciated her willingness to explore that edge. I suspect we all have areas of thought and inquiry at the edge of our map of the world. Thoughts we label as heretical and feelings that go against our orthodoxy. So I admired her courage. I also appreciated something she taught me about how we grow into the people that we become. She talked about how she needed more patience, that she was angry too quickly and too often. And this is something that she wanted to change, but she knew better than to pray for more patience because she knows how God works. God is not going to give her more patience. God is going to set up more frustrating and difficult situations so she can have more opportunities to develop her patience. And as she put it, I just don't have the time or energy for that right now, so I'm not praying for it. It's not so different in our clinics. Want to get good at treating certain conditions? Then you're going to have to treat a lot of people with that problem that's firmly entrenched in their lives. Want some equanimity in dealing with people? Well, then you're going to have some run-ins with some difficult folks. You want to develop your compassion? Well, then get ready for some deep suffering. We have to grow into the kinds of people we want to be, or perhaps we already are, but that seed has yet to sprout and flourish. None of the best things in life can be bought off the shelf. In fact, they're not for sale, nor can they be given. They come to us raw as a kind of potential. They arrive as difficulties and obstructions. It's hard, and it should be, because we need to wear something off the rough edge of our mistaken understanding and self-imposed limits that at one time seemed like a good idea. So, yeah, God is not going to give you patience. And whatever it is that you're seeking, skill, confidence, or capacity, you're going to get the opportunity to develop it on your own. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. We learn our medicine through experience and not just our experience but the experience of anyone who's been generous enough to write down the problems they've encountered, solutions they've found, and insights distilled from working with patients. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Edward Joe on the importance of case studies and how to craft them. You know, writing good case reports not only helps other practitioners learn from your experience, it helps you to clarify your own thinking as well. Let's get into this conversation with Ed and find out more. Ed Chu, welcome to Geological. Well, thank you, Michael. It's wonderful to be here. Happy to have you. 
You know, one of the things that is so wonderful about our medicine, and I think one of the things that a lot of people talk about our medicine in terms of its longevity and longevity in that we actually have case reports that go back not just hundreds of years, but thousands of years. Chinese medicine doctors have been writing about our medicine for a long, long, long time. The evidence of the effectiveness of acupuncture has been noted for for thousands of years. I mean, these case documents have gone back to the imperial times. You know, they've they've sort of evolved in terms of their format and their content, but, you know, some of the things that we have look to look back on in terms of the, you know, the older practitioners and their experiences treating disease and using acupuncture, using herbs have been really instrumental in terms of you know, changing the direction and the evolution of, of, of our medicine. Yes. Well, and not just our medicine, but really all medicines to some degree have relied on case reports. Now, the, the reason that I'm delighted to have you here today is that you have recently written a book about writing case reports, which, you know, on the surface, you look at it and go, well, that's a snoozer. But once you start to read it and you realize that in some ways the life blood of medicine and the way that deeply looking into cases and sharing them with others has moved medicine forward, not just with Chinese medicine, but really with all medicines. I'm wondering what got you started on writing this book. So what got me started in writing this book is uh, at the Oregon College of Oriental Medicine or at OCOM, where I uh, got my doctorate, uh, there was a course on uh, writing acupuncture case reports. And I was kind of intrigued by it. And I thought, you know, there's there, there's a lot to it here. I, I learned a lot, not only about, you know, how to present a paper sort of professionally, but also it offered certain insights uh, into how I practice um, and changed sort of the way that I think about, you know, what I do and why I do the things that I do in the clinic. Now, as you mentioned, in all of medicine, case reports uh, have been instrumental in the transmission of knowledge. You know, in Western medicine, 2,000 years ago, people were writing case, writing up cases on papyrus. And the way that practitioners would be able to teach their students uh, is by going through cases um, for many years. That was the way that the tradition was passed on. And and certainly uh, in Chinese medicine as well, you know, what we do is based on what we see uh, is ultimately based on what is successful uh, in practice. It's not just the theory books, but we need to understand how to apply it. How to apply it? And recognizing where we've gone off the rails. I I don't know about you in your schooling, but I know that the school that I went to in the first week or so, there were a number of teachers and they would start with presenting a case to us. They'd tell us about a case and they told us about how it really went off the rails. It wasn't like, hey, here's the medicine, here's how it looks, and let me show you how a nice case goes. It's let me show you how it looks when it goes wrong, which is not uncommon, right? That's right. I mean, in this current day and age, there are so many different directions that we can take. There there are a lot of, um, you know, not only within each style do you have, you know, a different number of patterns that you could choose, but you also have a number of different, you know, 
styles of acupuncture where you can say, you know, today for this patient, do you think it would be best to use more of a balanced method um, idea or more of a Japanese acupuncture idea? There are so many options. It's sort of hard to know what to choose. And so it's easy to go in a direction to say, hmm, you know, that worked a little bit, but let's try something new. Sometimes those types of cases are the ones that we learn the most from because we can figure out what didn't work and contrast it with what did work. I mean, a lot of times we think about published cases as, oh, we're going to present something uh, that might be good for research in that it was a really successful case. Well, sometimes, yeah, it is the 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 ones that are a little bit more tricky the, that we that we learn from the most. I am thinking about a study that my friend Toby Daly published in the Journal of Chinese Medicine. I think it was in the summer of 2020 or 2019, 2020, I think. And it was this fantastic case of a woman who was having issues with uh, menstruation, I think heavy bleeding that just wouldn't stop. And he tried this and he tried that and he documented it all quite nicely. And it was one failure after another until he finally went and spoke with one of his teachers who basically had him go back to another formula that he'd used early on. But I think he had to dose it up or he had to dose it longer. It was one of those very nuanced things where it wasn't just the formula, it's how you used it. Beautifully written case of how things go wrong. And you can look at that trail of breadcrumbs to learn so much about how the medicine works. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's much more than just like, okay, here's the treatment and here's the outcomes, but it's the journey. It's the explanation that's key to learning how to think in Chinese medicine. Case reports for a while have been sort of on the bottom of the evidence list, but in terms of how we learn to do what we do, following those breadcrumbs, following that train of thought is, uh, uh, is key to, to learning. Yes. So I just heard you use the term case report. I often hear the term case study. Are these things different? When you say case report, what are you referring to? So case reports are a little bit different from case studies. Case report, I, I usually I like to define it. It is a written account of a particular patient, of a single patient. So um, it's got, ideally, it's clear and concise. The word case study, it's got a little bit of a broader type of usage, the word case study can expand beyond medical use. Uh, so, for example, there are legal case studies that tell us, you know, more about um, that set a precedent for how to make decisions in, in law in the future. There are economic or business case studies where you, you know, you're trying to understand the variables in in running or starting a business or marketing or what or whatnot. Um, so, case study can be something that goes beyond medicine. And also case study is sometimes informally used as a term to talk about informally a hypothetical. So for example, a, uh, an instructor at a Chinese medicine school or in a, in a regular, you know, a biomedicine school uh, might say, okay, I've got, a, I've got a case study for you to analyze in the next test. And very likely it may be a sort of a made up patient. It's not a real patient. And it could be open-ended. It doesn't really even have an outcome 
or a significance attached to it. But a case report is, you know, you're, you're looking at the, you know, an actual patient from beginning to end in terms of, you know, your, not only the diagnosis, treatment, and outcome, but also the significance and anything that uh, you may have to offer that the reader can learn from this case. Mm-hmm. So there's room then in a case report, not just for, let's say, the natural history of a case, but also what we have gleaned from it or what we might glean from it. We can make inferences from this. That's right. Yeah. When I'm teaching about uh, case report writing, I often stress that the probably the most important part of your case report is the discussion section where you know, you've already presented the diagnosis, the treatment, and the outcomes, and now it's time to reflect on what happened, what was significant, and what we can learn from it. And in terms of choosing a case to write about, the important thing to remember is what are people going to learn from it? When you're sitting down to writing, you're thinking there are a number of different categories possibly uh, for people to uh, concentrate their efforts on, okay, what are we going to try and and uh, share in this uh, in this case report. It's funny. I'm all of a sudden thinking of Sherlock Holmes, and because <laughs> we were watching the series about a year ago, you know, it's always so fun because there's some sort of crazy thing that he solves, and then there's always like how he came to it, how he put the pieces together. So it's a bit like a detective story, a good case report. It sounds like. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, part of the detective work, of course, is being able to ask the right questions and take good notes as well uh, in order to be able to piece everything together. And asking questions, it's something that is taught in terms of you know, the most entry-level programs in acupuncture. But if you're sitting with a mentor and watching them ask the questions, you know, as a beginning student, you're like, well, there's a little bit more than this sort of standard OPQRST type of mentality that is, you know, asking all about, you know, very systematically about the um, specific condition and what the patient's experiencing. I remember before I even thought about going to acupuncture school, I was getting acupuncture treatments uh, from students at a student clinic, and there happened to be a fellow who, a recent immigrant from China, and he was at the school to get his acupuncture license. This guy had been doing acupuncture already for decades, but he needed to go to the school to get his license. And I remember he was one of my interns one day. And all he did, he like looked at me and he asked me one question. And then he shut up. And the other intern went on with the other, you know, you know how interns are. They ask you 28 different questions. He asked one question. He just looked at me and goes, do you sigh a lot? (sighs) I guess I do. Okay. That was it. He just shut up. (laughs) Right. So being able to sort of hone in on um, the right questions, uh, or maybe not the right questions, or but illuminating questions, questions that might give you more of a clue as to, okay, which direction do I want to go with this patient, um, or it could lead you into another line of questioning. That's definitely um, an important part of the detective work. Then, yeah, trying to to make sense of all the answers to the questions, all the all the different pieces to the puzzle. Do you have any favorite questions, or are there 
certain lines of inquiry that you that you like to engage in with patients? Any tips for on, on juicy questions to to ask? So in terms of questions to ask, I don't have any uh, in particular that come to mind. Sorry, I've, I've been a little bit out of practice. I've been, since I've been concentrating on this book, I actually haven't been seeing patients for, for quite, a, quite a little while. A little bit earlier, you were talking about how the case report has fallen to the bottom of the types of evidence that are used in evidence-based medicine. Now, evidence-based medicine is a big thing these days. It's like everybody wants to make sure that they're doing, I'm using air quotes, evidence-based medicine. It's almost a selling point more than anything else. What happened to case reports that they fell to the bottom of this hierarchy? So case reports kind of fell to the bottom of the hierarchy. The pyramid of of evidence, usually the sort of the meta reviews and the clinical trials are up at the top. Those were looked upon as more solid types of evidence because it was based on the experimental method. You know, you'd, you'd be able to separate people out into two groups. You change a variable in one of the groups, and uh, it's a very sort of a logical way uh, to be able to detect any differences. Uh, in terms of the outcomes of people treated one way versus another. Now, with a case report, um, they kind of fell to the bottom because they didn't really have the statistical significance. Obviously, you're working with just one patient, so it's not necessarily indicative of what all patients, how all patients might respond. Um, so that's one of the reasons why that it, uh, it kind of fell to the bottom. There's no proof that the patient of the case report, that, that, that all patients are going to respond like the one uh, that uh, was in the case report. So it's like you can't take a single case report and have that stand for whole populations. And it's basically an N of one study. That's right. So uh, with that in mind, I think that it's important to when you read a case report uh, to, to understand that and to know that, yes, I know that this, this particular conclusion, uh, these particular outcomes might not be representative of the whole. But there's other things that you can learn from a case study besides, all right, how effective is this therapy? In terms of the pyramid, the pyramid was ordered uh, in a way that would prioritize the, the type of evidence where you know, the outcomes you, you would be more likely to get a sort of a standard outcome for a standard treatment. But as we don't really do standard treatments, that type of evidence might not be as useful for, you know, for, for our type of medicine. Exactly. This may be an overbroad generalization. It seems to me that conventional medicine is very good and they have this focus on looking toward the top of the bell curve, whatever, whatever population they're looking at, whatever issue they're looking at, they're looking at that top of the bell curve and maybe the first standard deviation. But the people that are lying outside of that, they don't get much help. That's right. The, the people who are sort of in the middle of the bell curve, you know, for a clinical trial, the, the word that we're looking for is uh, efficacy. We're looking for trying to understand how a sort of a, a, a standard type of a procedure uh, 
we were looking for the best results that we can find from a standard procedure. But a lot of the people that come to acupuncture and Chinese medicines are the ones who have who who are probably on the the edges of the bell curve, so to speak. Like two standard deviations or more over. Right, right. Who have tried everything and it's, you know, they haven't found a solution. Now one of the things that sometimes makes the clinical trial not as useful for practical purposes as a case report is, for example, um, a clinical trial tends to examine a small slice of the population. So for example, for a, uh, a, a lower back study and acupuncture, we're looking at patients who are between the ages of 45 and 65 and patients who do not have spinal stenosis and patients who have never had surgery. So that particular study tells us for this narrow slice of people, you know, okay, well, there's a, you know, 75% chance that they'll, they'll get some good results. But yeah, what about for the other people who, uh, who don't fall into those categories? That particular clinical trial evidence, even though it might be really strong statistically, is not useful for us for, from a, a clinical standpoint. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. I think this is where we begin to get into the difference between science and scientism or scientism. I'm not sure the proper pronunciation, where people are actually doing science, but then there's this thing of, well, you know, it kind of has the flavor of science, so we can believe it. So case in point here, there's a study, It's a, we've got a randomized sample, but we've got a randomized sample of a narrow population. It's not a broad population, it's a narrow population. And so already we're vastly limiting variables. And so often it seems that when research comes out, this evidence-based, you know, top of the pyramid type research, it comes out, it'll have an indication that something works or doesn't work. And then people kind of latch onto it and go, see, it works. But they don't even look at what you were just talking about. Yeah, for people age 45 to 60 that have these particular parameters, but nothing else. So it's actually a very narrow slice. 
It is. In uh, study design, oftentimes they try to make it narrow in order to be able to sort of isolate, uh, to be able to make it more likely that any effects that show up will actually be mathematically provable in terms of the statistic analysis. So it'll show up on the statistic analysis. Yes. So it's more about does it work, not how does it work. It seems to me that our case reports very much go into how does it work. That's right, right. So in terms of the the does it work question, the two main threads of research, of acupuncture research, are going to be the mechanism style of research uh, where we're trying to understand, well, what are the what's what's the biochemistry behind what's happening? Uh, what is the biophysiology uh, behind putting a needle uh, into this particular location? What other what what effects does it have? Uh, so there's that type of research, and then there's the the clinical trial research. Uh, we're trying to understand for a particular condition how effective might this particular acupuncture intervention be. In terms of the the goals of both of these, generally, it's about validation. It's not necessarily about, all right, well, how is this going to inform my practice? It's going to be more about, okay, well, does acupuncture deserve a place in the modern biomedical landscape? Over the last 40, 50 years, through the tireless research efforts um, of people who are working on these mechanisms and trying to put together these studies, um, it's been clear that yes, you know, there are some some documented physiological effects uh, of acupuncture, and yes, you know, these sort of simplified, pared down protocols of acupuncture uh, do seem to show real benefit. So acupuncture is a player in modern medicine, but these types of uh, studies don't necessarily inform practice as much. Mike, I want to ask you a question. Um, In terms of your practice, what are the major influences in terms of what you decide to do in clinic, what choices you make in clinic, what, what, what fuels your diagnosis, you know, what books, what people, um, what sources, is some of the research a, a, a piece of it? What fuels what you, what you do in, in clinic? Oh, man, that's a great question. And it's funny you should ask because I was, I was doing a treatment on a patient just, just this morning. And, and for some reason, I don't know why, but I've been going back to some of the Japanese acupuncture that I learned years ago when I was in school. I don't know why, but lately I've just been like curious about ion pumping cords and eight extraordinary meridians. I I don't know where that interest has popped up from recently, but it has. And so my patient was asking me to, it's like, this is not what you've usually been doing. It's like, yeah, that's right. There's, there's many different ways to do acupuncture. And, um, today I think this will be helpful for you, right? Right tool for the right job is what I tell them. So some of it is that, some Japanese acupuncture. I've been spending quite a bit of time over the last almost three years now studying and practicing Sa'am acupuncture uh, and feel like I, I, I have a handle on it at this point. I, I think for me, because I've studied a number of different ways of working, 
it's helpful to take something, work with it for a while. I mean, work with it enough that I can feel a, a, a sense of capacity with it, especially before I start to mix it in with other things. Right, right. To sort of isolate uh, one particular um, sort of train of thought to be able to understand the, the sort of the range of its uh, capability there. That's exactly right. So you mentioned the uh, the ion pumping cords uh, and the Sa'am acupuncture. The ion pumping cords, where you learned about that in the first place, was that uh, was that in in school from a, a mentor? Was that from a, a text? Uh, how did you? What was the the original source of kind of what what got you started down down that particular path? Yes, one of one of the teachers at our school, along with some materials that he wrote up for us. Um, a lot of it very much Monica style. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then with the Sa'am acupuncture, also another instructor was uh, one of the influences. Yeah, actually a guest from the podcast. All right. All right. Was that Toby? That's Toby. Yes. Nice. All right. So, you know, in terms of what sort of fuels our clinical decisions and the directions that we're going to take as a clinician, we're looking at our mentors, we're looking at our teachers and their interpretations of the theoretical literature, the classical literature. Mm -hmm. Contrast that to biomedicine, the choices that are made over there are really based on, for the most part, the clinical trials, right? So I had a guest on the podcast recently who said, conventional medicine is the medicine of obedience. Here's the rules and you got to follow them. East Asian medicine is the medicine of discovery. Ah, I like it. I like it. Yeah. In, in, in biomedicine, there's this sort of standard of care that, you know, patient comes in, they have these, this particular symptom they have lab values X, Y, and Z. Here are your two choices that you've got to put out there. You can make it patient-centered by asking them which choice that they would want. You know, of course, being transparent about what side effects and you know what the possible uh, benefits are. You've got just a couple of couple of choices. Um, but yeah, in in Chinese medicine, it's like we're, we're for for the most part, clinical trials don't really they're they're not. A, a part of the decision-making process in terms of understanding how to diagnose. They're not a part of the decision-making process in terms of how to choose acupuncture points. The source of that information is our mentors. And what they learn from is their experience. The experience comes in the form of cases. So it's got to work from a clinical point of view. That's sort of one of the the differences that comes out of that um, sort of dichotomy when you say that uh, the Chinese medicine is the is the medicine of discovery. Yes, I, I mean it's fun to think of it as the medicine of discovery, and as we're having this conversation and thinking about, well, I think about reading articles in the Lantern or articles in the Journal of Chinese Medicine that are case reports. It's a little bit of an adventure story. Ooh, here's a case. Oh, it's not what I thought it was. What are we going to do about this? And the various steps and missteps that we take in figuring it out 
And of course, everything hones back to a particular set of principles and a particular set of ideas that I would say undergirds all forms of acupuncture at its root. We're looking at chi, we're looking at blood, we're looking at the interaction of the five phases, the six chi. I mean, what else do we got? That's what we got. That's the stuff we work with. Right. So that sort of the traditional paradigm, the model that we have of these sort of different, uh, I guess there are different lenses even within Chinese medicine where we can start to understand how a person, how their health has gone south and how to, how to bring it back. Looking at those as a model, we can contrast that with the biomedical model of health, which is built around the chemistry. Let's say we have this set of principles that, that we rely on with Chinese medicine. I would make the argument for, regardless of what kind of practice we have, we share a common root in terms of how we think about our medicine. Our, our methods may be wildly different, but our core principles come from the same places. That's right. The core principles are coming from the same places. And in terms of acupuncture, you know, there are, as we know, many different ways to practice. But one of the things that we can kind of take a step back and take a look at is, you know, what do all of these different styles have in common? We're sort of so focused sometimes on seeing how one is different from the other, but bringing it back and thinking, okay, well, what are some common principles? One common principle uh, is the idea of when you choose points, one type of approach is to go ahead and choose points that are local for a local effect, right? Uh, so in TCM, you know, you've got large intestine 15 for your shoulder point. Uh, in Kiko Matsumoto acupuncture, they do some moxa on GV20 for stagnation in the head. So that would be a local point. Sometimes I like to think about the front mu points as local points, you know, CV12 being fairly local to the stomach as the front mu of the stomach. So there, there are, you know, different traditions can sometimes sort of focus on that. All right, that's, that's where we want to put most of our treatment, or at least, you know, part of our treatment. Another principle that, that uh, is used in terms of coming up with acupuncture points is, of course, the channel system. Choosing points according to the channel. And this may be like, okay, well, it sounds like your liver, you've got liver cheese stagnation, so we're going to pick a point on the liver channel. It goes, gets a little bit more complex than that because, well, you know, sometimes we think about the relationships between the meridians and, okay, for that liver cheese stagnation, maybe we'll choose a gallbladder point because the gallbladder is related to the liver. So there's sort of the channel system that's used not only in TCM, but uh, in other styles of acupuncture uh, as well. Um, so those are sort of two categories. A third category, of course, being you know, the holographic system. And you know, that's used in auricular acupuncture and scalp acupuncture. The holographic method is used in the, the, the balance method where, uh, for example, if you've got pain in the knee, which is the, a hinge joint, you're going to look to the opposite elbow, which is another, you know, the, the, the sort of complementary hinge joint, 
It's the same hinge joint. It's the same hinge joint. Right, right. So the multiple styles of acupuncture also uses this sort of holographic principle. You know, when you put the three of those together, there there are a couple of more sort of uh, overarching principles in there. But when you put those together, you sort of come up with, okay, well, acupuncture as a whole has these has these things in common. And this is where our paradigm, uh, you know, really, really shines is because using the theory, using the model, we can find points that have a good chance that they might work. Whereas if you're looking at things from a a clinical trial standpoint, of course, they have, for a lot of the, the trials that have been designed, there's a specific protocol, and these are the points to use. Well, what if a patient doesn't respond to those points? Does that mean that acupuncture doesn't work? Not really. It means maybe you got the wrong points. Maybe you need to choose some different points. There's no guidance from a clinical trial to be able to find a solution for a specific patient in front of you if they might not be in the middle of that bell curve. Exactly. And that is why I don't really look at research about acupuncture because it doesn't help me to be the kind of clinician that I am. Now, there may be other people where they, they are looking at that and those protocols are helpful because they might be working in a, in a field or in a way that that information is useful. But for me, it tends to be useless, which is why something like the case reports has so much more value to it. Now, I want to turn to what I think is probably for many people a challenging and yet inviting environment, which is the integrative clinic. So in an integrative clinic, you've got acupuncturists, massage therapists, chiropractors, conventional doctors, maybe some other kinds of folks, right? You got all these different healers with these different ways of looking at things. They're trying to figure out how to work together. How do case reports fit in in this context where we might be not trying to communicate so much with other acupuncturists, but we're trying to work with other healthcare professionals. So in terms of working with other healthcare professionals, the uh, case reports can have a, have some different, uh, different roles or different directions. One of them uh, is the idea of referral. So uh, if there is a particular case where acupuncture was very helpful, perhaps it's for a condition that is a little bit more difficult to treat from other point of views, publishing that case report will share with the broader community uh, and with you know the people that you're working with if you're in a, an integrative clinic that you know if you see a patient with this type of a, a of a characteristic send them my way so there's the referral aspect of integrative medicine but in a way sometimes I feel that um, case reports can be a little bit more specific and a little bit more directed than just simply saying, you know, send patients my way. Now, a lot of integrative clinics are sort of, uh, you know, you're, you're putting a number of different practitioners under the same roof and sort of expecting that the magic is going to happen, right? You know, perhaps a particular acupuncturist hasn't worked with a chiropractor before in that, in that mode and doesn't really know what their success rates at, you know, this particular condition is, you know, they might not necessarily know when to refer. If they're really busy, they might not necessarily have those conversations or if the the space isn't made and the time and the space isn't made to have those conversations, then the integration might not really happen. And people are just sort of off in their own rooms and not really 
integrating. So what I like to think about in terms of integrative medicine case reports is what are the specific types of situations where if you've got two different therapies, one plus one equals more than two. You know, you're, you're trying to bring two parts, two or more parts together into uh, a whole so that they work well together for the benefit of the patient. Right. So one of the ways I think about this, I think a lot of acupuncturists are, are familiar with, with these situations. One is people undergoing cancer treatments. They don't come to the acupuncturist to treat cancer. They come to the acupuncturist to treat the side effects of their cancer treatment, which can be very, very helpful. That's right. So Western medicine has strengths. Chinese medicine has strengths. Western medicine has its weaknesses. Chinese medicine also has its weaknesses. What would happen if we take the weaknesses and strengths and sort of play them off each other. So for example, in biomedicine, one of the weaknesses is strong adverse effects. You can have strong adverse effects from any number of treatments, but using cancer treatment as, a, uh, as an example, it's particularly debilitating. Now, if you take Chinese medicine, you realize that, oh, okay, well, there are certain principles, there are certain ways that Chinese medicine will act in order to support the system. In Western medicine, most of the treatments that out the idea of allopathic medicine is, you know, you've got hypertension, you give something that's anti-hypertension. You've got, a, you know, a bacterial infection, you give an antibiotic. You're just, you're, you're trying to counteract at all measures. But there's not a whole lot in there that's just basically trying to nourish and boost. Whereas in Chinese medicine, we, we, we have that capacity. We have the capacity to regulate. And so that's a particular strength of Chinese medicine that you can use in order to sort of moderate the side effects, moderate the weaknesses of the biomedicine side. So you can sort of play the strengths and weaknesses off each other in that way. That's one way to, to integrate. Yes. Well, I'm thinking too, you know, we have this idea in Chinese medicine of the Zheng Qi, right? The upright Qi. It's all the stuff that's healthy capital H healthy and working well in the body, mind, body, and spirit. And we have an idea that that exists. Not only do we have an idea that it exists, we've got some ways of mobilizing it and working with it. Conventional medicine doesn't even have that as a concept. It's a blind spot. But for us, it's not a blind spot. And so it seems to me that in writing case reports, one of the things that we can bring out in this, especially if we're looking for colleagues in an integrative setting to read it, is some of these aspects of Chinese medicine that are, it's like the DNA of Chinese medicine, but it's not in other medicines. It's something that is in the human body. Our medicine has a way of attending to it. And if, and if other practitioners knew about that, they don't have to learn Chinese medicine. They just have to use us. That's right. That's right. I mean, so often, you know, the, the goal of some of this validation study is, okay, we're going to try and find a protocol. And therefore, well, I guess we can just do it on our own. We don't actually need to turn to the acupuncturists because they've already made up the study protocol that's now been proven. Uh, and they don't need us anymore, which is really a, a shame because, well, um, there's so much more that we offer besides just putting together that, uh, that, that small protocol. Yeah. 
in recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, and again, good luck with getting that to work because that protocol will work in that narrow frame that that protocol works in. It probably will not work in other places where it doesn't fit that rubric. Right. So the, the validation research, although it has been instrumental in bringing acupuncture to the fore, uh, has this sort of unfortunate consequence of changing the way that acupuncture is practiced. It, it, it turns it into a procedure rather than a paradigm, rather than a way of thinking. So if the way of thinking is not valued, the way of thinking that sort of came up with the protocol in the first place is not valued, you know, what you have is it's, it's reduced to a procedure. Anybody can do a procedure. And we lose that important detective ability that we have. I mean, we, we don't lose it, but it sort of fades out into the background and it's, it becomes uh, less of a player, I guess, on the, on the stage uh, of, of, of the, the medical world. I love how you say this. It's not a procedure, it's a paradigm. The idea is that, you know, if you're putting a needle into a particular location and, you know, you say you put a needle into large intestine four and the me mechanistic research says, oh, it improves the endorphins and the encephalins in your brain. Okay, well, great. That's validated. So, you know, other, other folks would be like, okay, we'll just put whenever we want endorphins, we'll put large intestine four. But as we know, there's so much more you can do with large intestine four, depending on how you needle it you know, how deeply, what the, what the technique is, what other points you're combining it with. There's so much more complexity that'll just be lost, unfortunately, unless, you know, with case reports, we're able to sort of showcase, you know, this is how we think about things. Now, in the literature, in the case report literature that's, that's out there, you know, there are a number of different journals uh, that have published case reports. Some of them, like the Lantern, lean more in our direction in terms of the traditional side of things, where they'll explain the thought processes behind how these decisions were made and how these results may have lined up. Some other journals that are sort of the more biomedical side, they're, they're missing that, unfortunately. They, they're sort of concentrating a bit more of course, on the biomechanics of it, perhaps. Which is what they look at. It, it, it is. And so what that, what that ends up doing is, uh, you know, if 
that's what's being published out there, you know, the perception of acupuncture on the medical stage starts to shift a little bit. So in that way, what I'm trying to do, you know, with, with my efforts in, in case study writing, uh, in writing this book is to establish more of a sort of a standard of what do we need to include to make these types of papers something important that we can learn from and some uh, you know, important sort of recordings in a way so that not only do the people in our generation who are reading them learn from it, but in posterity, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, we want people to be looking back at these and saying, oh, well, this is, this is an interesting thought. Let's build on it here. Let's continue to develop. Well, I have heard that there are some famous doctors like uh, Ye Tian Shir, fantastic doctor, he like never wrote stuff down, but his students wrote stuff down. Evidently, the, the vast majority of his case reports, he didn't write them. His students wrote them. So there's that as well. And, you know, just thinking to myself, wow, you know, like what if the master himself had written it down? And it's not just other people looking at his work and, can, you know, making a conjecture about this is what he was thinking. What if we actually knew what he was thinking? Yeah, that would be wonderful. And that's one of the bonuses to, you know, being able to uh, find a mentor who you really admire and respect in, in terms of the, uh, the knowledge that's passed down. You can actually ask them questions, which is a lot better than what you could get in terms of, you know, the understanding the thought process. Obviously, each individual practitioner is not going to be able to mentor with all of the different accomplished folks out there. Uh, and so what we can do, you know, what we can do is you know, put together these case reports and make them available so that, you know, everybody, not just necessarily now, but uh, in the future might be able to learn. It's interesting you mentioned about the, um, the students writing the case reports. In terms of, you know, students understanding the material and being able to explain it, you know, one of the things that it, it, it brings to mind, Master Dong, for example, who was notorious by putting a point in and asking the students to say, well, you think about it. Why did I use that point? You think about it. One of his students, Yang Weijie, who is, uh, is teaching in California, uh, he came up with all of these ideas as to why these, these, why these things might work. And, you know, he's sort of carried on that tradition, but made it so much richer. So it's not necessarily the student is less than the teacher, but they may be sort of, they may be learning and then putting a new spin on it and evolving it further. You know, there's that old phrase, Something like, like, don't seek what your teacher did, seek what they sought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. I, I don't think I got the line quite right. But that idea that as a teacher or a mentor, you could tell somebody something that will go in or not in a certain way. If you lead someone to a process of inquiry where they discover it for themselves, that's a whole different level of understanding. Right. The, the idea of sort of not catching a fish for somebody, but teaching them how to fish, sort of, so, so to speak. Yes, yeah. yes. Right. Yeah, there's, there's that. You know, I wonder here, I, I've, with the podcast, I, I've had a lot of students contacting me recently. I don't know why. 
it sounds like a lot of people are looking for mentors or looking for teachers after they get out of school, they are thirsty to, to be able to go deeper into something. And I'm, I'm wondering as we're having this conversation, if it might be helpful for new practitioners who are working with somebody to take a case or two from the person they're studying with and write it up as a case report, seeing if they can glean something of it and then take it back to the person that that's working with them and teaching them and going, am I missing anything here? Do you have anything to add? Oh, that's, Did I get this right? that sounds like a wonderful idea. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a good tool for that, learning? That, that would be really excellent. So the idea of writing a case, putting something into writing, it forces you to think a lot more clearly about what it is that you're trying to understand. I often mention this idea to my students who are who are starting out in, in writing cases. It, they'll, they'll realize, oh, you know, my diagnosis was a little fuzzy there. Or they'll realize, okay, well, if this is my diagnosis, why in the world did I put stomach 36 into that point prescription? It just doesn't belong. And they'll start to pick apart their own process. Once they have to put it into writing, they'll realize, oh, I could have eliminated one third of the points that I used and created a much clearer direction to this treatment. Um, so it's the, you know, the writing process clarifies your own way of thinking and your own way of treating, but trying to understand a mentor, absolutely. Uh, being able to ask those questions to them and say, hey, have I, have I properly understood what it is that you're trying to teach me? It would create some fantastic dialogue. Yeah. You know, and one of the other things that I noticed in reading your book was that if I'm going to write a really helpful and information-rich case report, and you've got some great rubrics in there for for how to write a good information-rich case report. But if I'm going to write one of those, then my clinic notes are going to have to be better than the ones that I'm writing right now. So the clinic notes are key. They're sort of you know where you're getting your raw material from. If you haven't written everything down properly or if you haven't asked certain questions, it will be really hard to be able to support any significant points that you'd like to make. Uh, and that's the whole point. You want to try and come up with some sort of a, a, a learning experience or you know a, a particular point that can help to grow the field of acupuncture. You need to have the backup info. So in terms of the interview, yeah, in, yes, in the book, there are some guidance in terms of what types of questions to ask. I often find that an area that is particularly sort of glossed over is the outcomes information. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think that it just may have a little bit to do with the way that we're taught to do the interview. Uh, but the, the outcomes are going to be really important in terms of being able to justify, all right, well, was this effective or not? Right? And oftentimes for a pain case, for example, we ask the patient, all right, well, how's your pain level today from zero to 10? And we're sort of counting on that as uh, the sort of the main outcome measure, which is, which is helpful. 
but there may be some other pieces to it that may make your case much more compelling. So for example, oh, patient- I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Curious to hear what you have to say. So, for example, like one of the the simplest examples is a patient comes in with shoulder with a frozen shoulder, right? And um, the question, well, what's your pain today? You know, how how's your pain uh, between zero and ten? The person says, oh, my pain is a level eight. It's just killing me. I I I hate it. You do the acupuncture. You send them home, and they come back and they say, okay, well, how's your pain level today? After the, how was your pain level after during the last week after the treatment? Oh, it's eight out of ten. It didn't help. It wasn't you know the, the acupuncture didn't work. Well, one key measure that is sometimes forgotten is there's a there's a little piece of a very you know inexpensive equipment called a goniometer, which can measure the angles when you're moving your joints. So, for example. Imagine at the beginning of that treatment, you ask your patient, okay, I want you to bring your arm out to the side until the point where it starts to hurt. And so they bring it up to about 30 degrees and you measure it and you record that in your, in your chart note. And then the patient goes home, comes back again. Yeah, you know, level eight out of 10, it's terrible. Can you lift your arm up again and show me where it starts to hurt? And they bring their arm up to about 60 degrees. And you say, hey, that's great. It worked. It was helpful. Yes, yes, yes. And, yes. and so, you know, having that piece of information makes the difference in a way between success and, you know, not so success, right? Absolutely. You know, another thing, and again, this is in your book, it has to do with um, like capability. So a frozen shoulder is a great example. I had this happen with a person not long ago. Often people are kind of nice. You know, you ask them how they're doing and they go, eh, you know, maybe a little better. A little better means, yeah, maybe nothing. So it comes back, yeah, maybe a little better, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, you know, like what else went on this week? Well, I, I spent like three hours in the yard one day and then I moved like, you know, two tons of rocks from, you know, here to there. And I'm like, you did what? Yeah, my, my shoulder's killing me. You moved how many rocks? Oh. When's the last time you actually moved two tons of rocks? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, there are different, um, one of the things about case reports is that uh, in terms of the qualitative type of questions yes. that we yes. can ask yes. from them, we, we, can, we can mark those down. One of the reasons why in case reports, we don't do too much of the sort of survey type of um, evaluation is because that takes some of that, the richness of that information away. We want to know exactly how that person improved, whether or not it's an angle in their shoulder or whether or not it's like, okay, well, before the treatment, whenever I would run, I'd start to get knee pain after about one mile. And now I can run five miles before that knee pain starts to bother me. Or resilience, for example. So a person runs a marathon. They say, usually af after a marathon, I'm like toast for a week. But then after a series of treatments, after you treated them for a couple of months, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm off to my next marathon. And they'll come back to you and say, you know, I was toast, but I was only toast for two days. And that's an improvement. You know, there's, there's many different ways to gauge improvement. You know, sometimes it's resilience, sometimes it's capability, sometimes it's medication use, for example. If somebody says, right. oh, yeah. Which ibuprofen. 
Exactly. I, I used to take, you know, ibuprofen like peanuts or, you know, you can mark down exactly how much ibuprofen they were taking for their low back pain. And they say, okay, yeah, my, my pain level six out of 10 still, but I didn't take any ibuprofen last week. Oh, that's a, that's a win for sure. Absolutely. I think it's helpful in these case reports. And I think it's helpful for us as practitioners to realize that we're looking to help people function better in their life. And they may have pain at times, and they may have some discomfort. But if they've got a certain amount of discomfort, and at the same time, they're able to inhabit their life much more fully and much more richly than they did a few weeks ago. I I don't know what it is about our modern mind where it's like all or nothing. It's like, if my pain's not completely gone, it failed. And to some degree, and and, and I want to be very careful here because I don't want to put words in people's mouths and I'm not trying to talk them into something, but I do want them to look more deeply at their own experience because there's often all kinds of places where treatment changes what's happening in their life. That's right. Um, And one of the uh, parts of evidence-based medicine, kind of coming back around to that, is trying to understand how uh, the patient, you know, this is supposed to be centered around the patient. How do they feel they have benefited from this? And the benefits might not necessarily be just in the chief complaint, but you may have other unexpected benefits along the way, which is another study, you know, it's another reason to write a great case report if you know you're trying to trying to treat somebody for uh their you know phlegm headache and their infertility is solved because you're you're using this the the formula for headache actually helps to move the blood stasis elsewhere and you know they're our, our medicine is so complex and it is really great to see the effects not only in the chief complaint but in other complaints that may be in the pattern and also in terms of the well-being, you know, our, our medicine, it, it works with the body, the mind, the spirit, everything all in one. So, you know, inevitably you're going to have, you're going to have people saying, you know, this is, it, it's not just my knee that got better. And that can really come, come to the fore. That can be a, a sort of a, a point of shining uh, that you can capture in a case report that is very difficult to capture in a clinical trial. Yes. Spot on. So we've been referencing this book. Tell us about it. Where can people get it? And and where can they share their case reports if they want to do that? Sure. So the name of the book is Writing Acupuncture Case Reports, Theory and Practice. The reason why it's called Theory and Practice is because part of it is about why we need to write more case reports. And the practice is basically a nuts and bolts. All right, here are the steps and uh, here's what you need to do in order to actually write one and get it into, into publication. Uh, so I'm, I, I self-published the book. Uh, the uh, book is on www.acupuncturecasereports.org, where there's a little bit more information about case reports and then also some resources uh, for people who are uh, interested in writing. I am working on possibly putting together a, um, an archive of case reports. Uh, that is, you know, right now my, my main objective uh, is to reach out to practitioners and to schools to try and make case report writing just a part of our professional dialogue, a part of our um, 
uh, professional competencies. Um, so that's kind of my my main goal at this point. But on the side, I'm I'm looking at trying to get a get a, a uh, an archive together, so that eventually the idea would be that people could say, "All right, well, I have a patient who uh, has um, liver cirrhosis, for example." And it's I I, I want to know what to do about it. I want to see how you know. Let's let's see if I can find a Kiko practitioner who has addressed this and see what what one direction might be there. Let's see how a balanced method practitioner might have gotten you know if they got some success over here. Let's see how a Japanese you know another meridian therapy approach might have worked. So you can the idea is hopefully we'll get enough people so that we'll be able to span a number of different ways of thinking within Chinese medicine. Um, and, you know, perhaps it'll be like, okay, well, we, we've got fibromyalgia. There's a patient with fibromyalgia and we want to be able to see, okay, well, what are, what are all the different uh, the TCM cases that have come out? What, are the, what, we, what can we make of the types of patterns that we're, we're seeing? Um, yeah, this is great. You know, in the same way that conventional medicine publishes the kind of research that they do, because it's helpful to that audience, not so helpful to our audience, but helpful to that audience, this would be helpful for us, not so we can go find some points to treat liver cirrhosis, but so that we can go and get some ideas about how to think about. That's right. And I'm hopefully going to be starting a blog on the uh, website as well that uh, you know, one of the first posts is going to be like, well, how do we read a case report? It's so easy for a practitioner to say, okay, I'm going to take a look at what we have here. Let's click on this one. Okay, this they use this prescription of, of, of these six points. Bam, we're going to do it. No, 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 no. You, you got to read the whole thing. You got to figure out, well, is this patient similar to mine? In what ways? And, you know, our, our medicine is a patient-centered medicine. We have to see what's, you know, the patient that's in front of us and figure out if that point prescription or that even that line of thought is going to be useful. You, 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 you can't just read a study and then plug it in. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So it doesn't work that way. Well, you know, you've got a nice microphone there and you could write that blog or you could put up some podcasts. Oh, I could, I could just food for thought. All right. All right. Thanks. Well, Ed, anything else to add before we wind this down for today? So I guess in terms of the the reasons why we write case reports in, in the first place, I guess one of the things that I wanted to mention is that of the case report literature that's out there, I mentioned that the biomedical types of journals, they don't really incorporate uh, some of the Chinese medicine in, in uh, information. Uh, but in, in terms of the importance of sharing this information amongst ourselves as a profession to help to improve what we do. I mean, that's one of the, the main reasons that we, we need to write. Person in California says, oh, I've got a patient with such and such a condition. Person in Wisconsin says, hey, you know what? Let me try something along those lines. By writing one case report, you can send good chi to many parts of the country, even many parts of the world. So, you know, in, in order to boost our profession, in order to support looking at acupuncture as a paradigm and not just a procedure, these are all the reasons we need to, to uh, 
to write. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. When I think about it, case reports really are the bones of learning our medicine. We have records that span the decades and the centuries. In school, we often learn from case studies and case reports. I know that in reading various journals, interesting case reports are the places where I get to really sit with another practitioner as they are working through the medicine in their practice and they have the generosity to share that experience with us. I so appreciate this conversation today with Ed and in thinking about the importance of these kinds of documents that allow us to both go into a case, understand it better for ourselves, and more than that, to be able to generously share it with others. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.